Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Satan is very sly, isn't he? Sometimes he tries to get to question and gets you to question what God has said and to twist God's words to mean something that's not true. That's his goal. And we know that's what spiritual warfare is all about. Understanding our enemy, but understanding that our enemy has no power against us. The Word of God is a powerful weapon against the devil. Proverbs states, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. The words of the Lord serve as a shield to those who put their trust in him. As believers, we also early, earlier learned how the word of God is living and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And a sword is both an offensive and defensive weapon. In other words, the words of the Bible, therefore, can be used as a weapon for battle. Now, Satan realizes that the word of God is a mighty weapon in the war against demonic terror. And his plan, therefore, is to break down our defenses and plunder, and steal our weapons, thereby leaving us completely defenseless. And the way in which he tries to steal the word is by tainting our ammunition. For he knows that without the dynamic power of the word, that we will experience spiritual misfires as we try to withstand the onslaught of the attacks of the devil. The devil taints the word by adding to it, by subtracting from it, or substituting his own defective formula. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, which is where our main text is derived from today, Paul refers to the tainting of the word as walking in craftiness and handling the word of God deceitfully. And craftiness and deception are indicative of the plans and schemes of the devil. John emphasized his deception stating how the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. The devil is a compulsive liar. And in our message this morning, we will examine some of the subtle ways in which he tries to taint and subvert the word of God in order to deceive believers. First of all, we know that he loves to taint the word of God. Absolutely loves it. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the very beginning, 
the devil has tried to taint the word of God. For he began utilizing his scheme shortly after creation. And he was able to succeed at deceiving the first man and woman, resulting in sin and death for the entire world. We suffer for the original sin. But that does not mean we are defeated by it. The battlefield in which he fought to deceive Adam and Eve was, you've guessed it, within their minds. We talked about this last week and the week before. It starts in our minds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul expressed his concern for all believers, stating that, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your mind may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now I want to remind us that the battlefield is within the mind, and the devil appeared to Eve in physical form. However, he will come to us speaking to our hearts and our minds seeking to taint and twist the word of God. And if we wish to overcome these deceptions, then we as believers must become aware of what he does to trick believers. The example of Satan's first ever deception is recorded in Genesis chapter 3. So let us stand in honor of the reading of God's word this morning, if you would with me, please. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, says this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden... God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise... She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. This is the word of the Lord. I hope this adds messing blessings to all of you this morning. You may be seated. Amen. Satan tries to get us to question the justice of God and the love of God. Millions of people are swayed by Satan to think they can live however they'd like to because there is no judgment, while others believe the lie that God doesn't love them. Satan promises pleasure but never mentions the pain, the shame, or guilt because he wants them to have so that they'll think God couldn't possibly love them. And we'll learn more about that in next week's sermon. But this is the devil's scheme. 
He wants to get you so fouled up in your thinking that you start believing the lie. And essentially, the serpent promised the fulfillment of five desires to Eve. First of all, he says that you will be omniscient. Who in here is omniscient? You will be omnipotent. You will be equal to God. And interesting, pride is what led to Lucifer being expelled out of heaven. Because in Isaiah 14, he, he listen to this profession of pride in verses 13 and 14. He says, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will make myself like the most high. He also promised to her that you will be morally autonomous and can decide for yourself what is right and wrong. We see this today when people say, I'm living my truth. Do we hear that? I'm living my truth. He also said you will be sovereign over your life and no one can tell you what to do. Sounds great, but not a reality. Satan's main lie is this. Sin is not bad and God is not good. This must have been intoxicating to Eve. Somehow the serpent managed to make the tree of the knowledge of good and evil seem as it were in fact the tree of life. In his book, The Rise and Triumph of Modern Self, Carl Truman argues that expressive individualism has permeated our society, leading to all sorts of debauchery, despair, and darkness. In addition, many Christians have subscribed to the religion of moral therapeutic deism. Let me explain. When we discredit God's goodness... Sin won't seem so sinful anymore. When we deny God's judgment, we'll think we can get away with sin. We can always justify disobedience if we try hard enough. But disobedience to God's word does not bring greater freedom, does it? Instead, it brings spiritual death. And bondage, as Jesus said in John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And right here we observe six deceptions the devil might attempt to use in order to steal from the dynamite power of the word of God. Satan will question God's word. The first deception that Satan utilized on Eve was that he questioned God's word. Basically asking her, did God really say what you think he said? The serpent said to Eve, has God indeed said? He did not deny that God had spoken. He simply questioned whether God had really said what Eve thought he said. Perhaps you misunderstood what God spoke. That is Satan's suggestion. 
You owe it to yourself to rethink what he said. It is worth noting that in this suggestion, Satan is also questioning God's goodness. If God really loved you, he wouldn't keep something from you. But notice the first voice we hear in this narrative opposes God and his sovereignty. And we see this in the next phrase where it says, Did God actually say? One translation renders it this way. Really? Did God really say that? The serpent's scheme is simple and continues in today's society. To stir up doubt by attacking and discrediting God's word. Observe how the serpent uses a generic name for God, Elohim. Instead of the powerfully personal name, Lord God, or Yahweh Elohim. Which is used 20 times in Genesis chapters 2 and 3. The word actually is used sarcastically. Those of you who are, have the art of sarcasm know what I'm talking about. And I know there's lots of you. It's fun talking with you sometimes. But he is. He's mocking in a sort of way. It's as if Satan is saying, come on. Did the deity really say that? The serpent doesn't take a direct approach, but instead starts with a question. His most effective work is finished when he has established a foothold of doubt in someone's mind or heart. And while questions can be good in our quest for knowledge... Several years ago, a well-known pastor started questioning settled doctrine in his sermons and books. He says, we can't really know for sure, so I just want to ask some questions. How do we know hell is real? How do we know that the Bible is true? He would invite people to have a chat when he was preaching and then propose questions while not providing biblical answers. His public doubt spread like gangrene to others. And this makes me think of 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 4 where it says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. Sadly, this pastor eventually left the faith and did many shows on Oprah and has now fallen headlong into heresy. I don't need to mention the name because there's not just one, is there? There are many. Satan can lead us to question God's word within our mind. He does so through the temptation to sin. Because we all know that sin can be attractive. Because it is sometimes pleasurable. But to replace God's eternal joy with the temporary pleasures of sin only leads to misery. And it ultimately results in spiritual death. However, it is the desire to commit sin that causes people to look for loopholes in God's word. 
So I wish to caution us to stop preaching for loopholes in God's word, lest the serpent deceive us. Because not only does he question God's word, Satan will deny God's word. And that second deception that Satan utilized on E was the denial of God's word. Satan said, you will not surely die. It is but a short step from questioning God's word to denying it. And of course, neither Adam nor Eve had ever seen death. All they had to go on was the word of God. But this was all that they needed. After he disguised himself, the serpent raised doubt and demeaned God. Eve responded by expressing a distorted view of God. And next, the serpent unleashed a direct attack on the Almighty in verse 4 when he said, But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. And this is a very emphatic statement in the Hebrew language. It literally means, not you shall surely die. You see, the serpent quoted what God had said and put the word not in front of it. The serpent is saying, God is not holy. That sin isn't serious and judgment isn't real. And while the serpent started out by being sly and subtle, he now strikes quickly aggressively and directly. And this is the first bold lie of Satan, which is true to his character according to John 8:44. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. So when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. The first doctrine the serpent denied was God's judgment. He deceived Eve by telling her she will know by by no means she will die, or more literally, you will positively not die. He basically told her that she can do whatever she wants and there will be no consequences. She can disobey and nothing bad will happen to her. She can have whatever she wants and there will be no cost or consequence. Maybe this will sound a little bit old-fashioned to some, but there is a bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. This seems like some good advice, amen? If the Lord tells us something in his word, then we need to believe it, not deny it. What God tells us is for our own good, not for our harm. If we deny God's word, it will lead to death. But if we heed his word, we will find life. Joshua delivered the truth to Israel, saying, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. 
For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. There's a familiar hymn that says, Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. God's word contains words of life, does it not? Which we should heed if we ever hope to be successful in our Christian walk or our kingdom life. Satan's words with his lies and temptations are words of death. So not only does Satan question God's word, not only does he deny God's word, but Satan goes that extra step and he starts substituting the lie for the truth. And that is the third deception that Satan utilized on Eve. He substituted his own lie. He said, you will be like God. You will possess all things that he possesses. Adam and Eve were already made in the image of God. But Satan tempted them with an even greater privilege to be like God. And this was, of course, Satan's great ambition when he was Lucifer, God's angelic servant. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, we can read the account of the devil's rebellion against the Lord. The passage says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation of the farthest sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan is a created being, a creature, but he wanted to be worshipped and served like the creator. And through the countless years after his fall and the fall of mankind, he gained a great following. And those worshipers would, would worship him by presenting them the same temptation to be like God. The Bible says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. It was this specific attitude that led the devil to rebel against God and to seek and establish his own kingdom. You will be like God is the one gigantic lie that has controlled civilization since the fall of man. Anytime a believer feels that he or she has all the answers and stops listening to God, then that individual is trying to assume God's position and is attempting to become like him. We can see how the serpent's crafty ways started to influence Eve in her conversation with the devil. 
Temptation always thrives on dialogue. In verses 2 and 3, we see how she distorts what God said. And the woman said to the serpent, You may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, to review exactly what God said, and you compare it to the distortion Eve came up with, it looks like this. It says, And the word God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Satan distorted her thinking. And he denied God's word. He questioned God's word. So that she might believe the lie. She omitted the phrase, surely eat. And replaced it with, we may eat. God wanted them to eat with great delight and to their heart's content. But she downplayed God's gracious permission. It is as if she said, yeah, I guess we'll have some food to eat if we get really hungry. She omitted the phrase, every tree of the garden, and just said, of the fruit of the trees in the garden. So she characterized God as a killjoy instead of the good God who graciously allowed them to eat as much as they wanted from every tree, except one. She adopted the serpent's preferred name for God, but God said instead of calling him Lord God, she depersonalized God because it was much easier to do what she wanted to do then. If we think he is far away and uninvolved, it's easy for us to get away with sin. And by the way, as soon as God goes looking for the fallen couple in the garden, the compound named Yahweh Elohim is used again, showing how powerful and personal he really is. She did not use the correct name for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and simply called it the tree. She used the negative word neither, which means no or not, to emphasize what they can't do. How often do we in our life focus on the negative? How often do we think of things, of things that we cannot do as opposed to the things that God has graciously given in our lives to do? She added to God's prohibition with the phrase, neither shall you touch it which God never said. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, God never says this. So Eve magnified God's strictness, implying that he, even an inadvertent slip, would lead to death. This man-made restriction is the first instance of legalism in the Bible. 
She omitted, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, and replaced it with the softer phrase, lest you die, which changed a certainty to a possibility. Eve weakened the penalty for disobedience and diluted certain judgment. There's a writer who wrote, Notice how Eve is drawn into Satan's line of thinking. Her reply magnifies the strictness of God on one hand, but softens his threat of judgment on the other. She is following into Satan's trap by changing the character of God to be more to her liking. Eve was already beginning to waver, and the fall really took place before she even ate the fruit. And I believe that that is what the church struggles with today. The inability to preach about sin. The inability to present the truth for what it is. Because we're in the business of sugarcoating things so we can feel good about what we do. But we're no better than Eve when we do that. We're no better than Adam when we partake in these things. We have a habit of perverting ourselves before the sight of God. But even saying that, God loves us anyway. God provides a way. God is ever present in our life, even in times of struggle, even in times where we feel that he is far, far away. I don't know anyone who loves me that much. Because I know there's days where I'm not easy to be around. But God is with me all the time. God is there telling me the truth. Encouraging me to take it for what it is. God's undying love for me. Because he never breaks a promise. He has made that covenant with me in spite of my iniquity. And he does the same for you. He does the same for you. But also know that we, in reference to God's word, we can add and we can subtract to that sometimes. Eve was notorious for that, as mentioned in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. How did Eve respond to Satan's approach? She responded by making three mistakes that led into sin. And it's the mistakes that we still make today. In verse 2, Eve omitted the word freely. God's original word in Genesis 2.16 was, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. So we get the impression that Eve caught Satan's subtle uh, suggestion. That God is holding out on us. So when we start to question or forget the grace of God and the goodness of God, we will find it much easier to disobey the will of God. 
That was the first mistake. She believed the lie. And as an example of how someone can subtract from God's word, let's suppose that an individual knows about how the Bible warns that sin leads to death and hell. The individual might declare, how can a loving God send someone to hell? I don't want anything to do with a God like that. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. An individual lacking an in-depth knowledge of Scripture will tend to focus only on the first part of the verse and delete the second part within his own mind. The person will then conclude that God sends people to hell and that he doesn't really love anyone. However, the second part of the verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Which further proves that God does indeed love people because he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When people want to believe the devil's lies, then they'll often forget or they'll delete the parts of God's word that holds them accountable. In addition to, no pun intended, in addition to subtraction, there is the part where we tend to add to God's word. Why would we want to add to God's word? To further exploit the situation that we're in so we feel better about the sin we may be participating in. And this was the fifth deception that Satan utilized on Eve. He fooled her into adding to God's word. We do not find the words, nor shall you touch it, in God's original command. They may have been there, but they are not in the record. Not only did Eve make God's original word less gracious by omitting the word freely, but she also made the commandment more grievous by adding or touch it. John says in 1 John 5, 3, his commandments are not burdensome. Satan wants us to believe that they are burdensome and that he has something better to offer. That's temptation. That's where we fall into the trap and then we begin twisting everything as to fit our situation. An example of adding to God's word in a way that becomes burdensome and enslaving to others is when an individual adds his own interpretation of what a passage means in light of his own sinful plans. We see this a lot. We see this among very popular theologians in our day. And it's dangerous. Very, very dangerous. For example, a husband wishing to say that men are superior to women and that a wife must be submissive and serve his every whim will emphasize how God created the man first, concluding that the man must be superior to the woman. Does the Bible ever say that the man is superior? 
No. In fact, in Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, it speaks of mutual submission for both the husband and the wife. The Bible is only enslaving when it is added to and misinterpreted in light of one's own sinful agenda. And the final deception that Satan utilized on Eve was he fooled her into changing God's word. God did not say, lest you die. In Genesis 2.17, he said, For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. The penalty for disobedience, as presented by the enemy, did not seem as harsh. Therefore, Eve could consider forsaking God's will and then obeying Satan's will. There is a cult today that has changed God's word in every place where Jesus is said to be Lord and has made Jesus appear to be lesser than God the Father. For example, in the New World Translation, John 1.1 states, In the beginning the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. The statement, the Word was a God, should be properly translated as the Word was God. Reducing Jesus to lesser than God the Father removes the weight of and authority of his commands and allows a person to pick and choose what they want to believe. So this morning, I want us to take a moment and consider whether or not you've changed the word of God to say something that you wanted it to say. And I know there's many quotes and sayings out there that people believe that are in the Bible But they're not really there, are they? It's just something we've been accustomed to saying. This is what it's talking about. We can be misinterpreting things and buying into the lie if we're not careful. Once you have treated God's word in this fashion, then you are wide open for the devil's final trick. He merely permitted Eve to consider the tree apart from God's word when he said, Get a look at it. Set it as it really is. It was good for food, a delight to his eyes, desirable to make one wise. So she had to make a choice, and we have to make a choice. Is it God's word or is it Satan's word? She rejected God's word. Believing Satan and sinned. Have you ever believed any of these six lies of the enemy? Beware, for Satan lies lead to sin against God and spiritual bewilderment. You see, God accomplishes his will on earth through truth and by truth alone. Satan accomplishes his purposes through lies. When the child of God believes God's truth, then the Spirit of God can work in power, for the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. 
But when a person believes a lie, Satan goes to work in that life. Because we know, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But faith in God's truth leads to victory. Faith in Satan's lies leads to defeat. And if we find ourselves living in defeat or experiencing a dry spell in our life, then we need to ask ourselves the question, have I believed Satan's lies instead of the truth of God found in the Bible? The devil through his lies has deceived many believers into falling away from the Lord. They have been tricked into believing that Satan has something better to offer than Jesus can provide. I want to remind us once again how we can do battle with the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 12. When we rely on the Word and stand on the truth of God, then the one who does all the fighting is Jesus Christ. It's not us. We let Jesus Christ get to work. All the fighting is Jesus Christ. For according to 1 John 3.8, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. If we wish to walk in the light of truth and we're searching for the truth of God's word, then we should look no further than Jesus Christ. He is the embodiment of the word. Jesus declared, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. And he, and only he, is the truth that can set us free. Amen? Amen. Amen. Dave, come and lead us. And together, please. I'd like to have the women sing the first, and then the men sing the second, and then we lift up the chorus together from our hearts before the Lord this morning. We do exalt you, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. For the ladies.
many activities happening in the next few weeks. I pray that all of us get involved. And if you're not involved already, find a way to get involved. We need all the help we can get. Um, a lot of people we need to be praying for. Um, I pray for all of you. I know that we all face our own trials and temptations, and we're not above it. Even as Christians, we know that that's when we're most attacked, is when we're the strongest in the Lord. So I pray for all of you. I ask that you pray for me as we lead this church into the truth and to the understanding that God wants nothing but good for us. But we have to get out of the way sometimes, don't we? And so I pray that for this church, that we continue to remember that and remember to only follow God's truth. We don't need to twist it. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to subtract from it. It is what it is, and that is what we believe. It is infallible. And so we follow it to the T. Amen? Amen. And before we leave today, I'm going to ask Misty Alexander to come on up. Misty has been attending with us for quite some time. And she has sent me many filled out lists with all of her information. And I feel, and I think she feels, this is the right time. She seeks membership with the church. And by her statement of faith and baptism, I wish to present her to you for that reason. So what say you? All approved, say aye. Aye. So moved. Welcome. Pleasure to have you with us. Yeah. So before we leave today, after prayer, come and welcome her into the church family. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that we can take your word for what it is, and what it is is the truth. Thank you that you lead us, especially in times of trials, but Lord, even in those opportunities where we have praises, let us not forget that you're the reason for that. We give you the glory. And Lord, we just thank you so much that you sent your son to die so that we could experience true salvation. And when we meet you one day, face to face, we'll hear those wonderful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. We look forward to that day. Bless us now as we leave. Keep us safe to our appointed destinations. And Lord, everything that we say and do, let it be an honor to you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day, Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.